You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Why don't we go ahead and find our seats? Uh, we're going to do a little uh, improvisational moment here with David and Linda, but they had a couple words they wanted to share with the church, and I thought that would be awesome. We just wanted to thank all, all of you that helped us and uh, how grateful we are for that happening and, and uh, just made it a lot easier for us, and it's a testimony to other people. So and, the, the, for those that didn't know, oh, yeah, uh, what happened idea. yesterday? Oh, we moved yeah. from our old place of 41, and almost 42 years to a new place in McFarland, so... And uh, so thank you all. I appreciate it. There you go. We're, we're all right. <laughs> yes, and we want to thank, for, uh, thank people who came and packed and people who prayed for us. I mean, God's hand was just so evident in so many things, and everything got transferred and will be moving in for a while. I mean, that takes when you're going from a space to a space, there's a, a learning curve here that, um, by God's grace, we'll make. But I just, yep. I am so grateful. Yep. Yep. And for the testimony to our neighbors in the, yes. where we moved out and where we're moving in. Yes. I mean, just praise the Lord and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Let's, uh, let me, let me pray for you guys real quick. Um, we love David and Linda and, um, I refer to them affectionately as our senior saints. And, uh, we're just so glad you guys are here. And I want to commend our church as well because it's very biblical for us to seek to take care of those who are older and, um, and they do need help. Like moving when you've lived in a house for 40 years is no small task. And, um, and they've been through a lot health wise in the last year, two, three years. And so to, for us to come alongside them is appropriate and it is a great testimony to an onlooking world. Um, and so uh, let's pray for them and continue to walk alongside them. Lord, thank you so much for David and Linda and the blessing that they are um, at our church. And thank you so much for um, how we've been able to come around them. Lord, we pray that that would continue. Lord, we pray that this new place that you provided for them to live would be a huge blessing to them. Lord, we pray that um, they could be a witness there, that they could um, love their neighbors well there. Um, that uh, you would make that a place, uh, that home, a place of ministry, as you've done um, in the, their former place of living. And and so, Lord, thanks for um, their faithfulness at our church, and for being willing to be a part of our church. Um, and Lord, we thank you so much for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Watch your step there. Here you go. All right, well, we're going to continue with the preaching of God's Word, and we're, we're going to do a three-week series, kind of in the classic Christmas texts. And so if you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to turn there with you. If you're new here, I'm Zach, I'm one of the pastors, and we're so glad that you're here. We'd love to get to know you. You'll hear more about how to do that at the end of our service. Actually, um, I am totally confused. Wait, no, I'm not. It's Matthew chapter 1. I, I'm doing Matthew, and then I'm doing Luke, and I, may, I, I don't have Matthew or Luke written in my notes, just the, anyway, enough details. So we are in Matthew chapter 1, 
Um, and we're starting in verse 18. And I'm going to tell you the main point this morning. I'm going to repeat it throughout the message. Hopefully you can walk out of here being able to articulate the main point um, and be able to meditate on that today and, and the following week. Um, this is what I want us to walk out of here with. Christmas comes through a supernatural scandal so that scandalous sinners can be saved. I'm going to say that again. Christmas comes through a supernatural scandal so that scandalous sinners can be saved. Too often, I think, at Christmas, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a professional Christian at this point. Uh, I've been in church my whole life. I'm as, I'm as Christian culture as it gets, for better or for worse. Um, it's easy to come to the Christmas Advent season and just kind of be like, yeah, I've heard these Bible texts literally a thousand times. I've sat in Christmas services a thousand times. Is there anything new um, in these texts? Well, there's probably nothing new, and it, it, it's, it's dangerous if you have a pastor who's trying to come up with novel things all the time. Um, but I just want to encourage us to try to not look at these Christmas texts and yawn and, and have hearts that are open and ready to receive what God might have for us and not just have like that, eh, I've heard it before, whatever, tune out kind of perspective, which is easy. Um, if you've been around Christianity, if you've been around the church and Bible stuff a while. But our, our text today, it's pretty wild if you can imaginatively put yourself in it. And I want to challenge us to give, give that a shot. It's always a, a really good thing when you're reading your Bible to imaginatively place yourself in the text. It, it'll make it come alive for you. You can, you can see things as they're happening in a different way that can be really helpful. So in these opening verses, there's a lot going on here that we have to understand in terms of the world of the Bible. It's very different than our world in many ways. The human heart has not changed that much, but cultures change a lot. And so let's look at verse 18, and I'm going to try to help us understand the world of the Bible a little bit when it comes to this classic Christmas text. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his, Jesus, when Jesus' mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, now let's stop right there. What does it mean to be betrothed? Betrothed. Well, we don't use that word very often uh, in English. And betrothed means this. Back in the time of the Bible, they did engagement and weddings a little bit different than we did. They're in an ancient Jewish Middle Eastern context. So they did marriage stuff very different than how we do it. And what would happen at this time in history is that typically they would be teenagers. And the parents of the son would look around the context and pick out a wife for their son. Okay, for their son to marry, arranged marriage. And usually there would be some type of a bride price um, that, the, the, the girl, that the groom's family would pay to the bride's family. And then they would be, quote, betrothed. And what this was, a little different than our period of engagement, it was a legally binding contract for one year. And that's what Joseph and Mary had entered into. That's what the text tells us. They would not live together. Sometimes they wouldn't even spend any time alone together. 
until they had the official marriage ceremony, big party, a marriage processional, where the, where the, the, the bride would go and formally, they'd have the party, and they would all uh, have a processional to the groom's house. And they would do the ceremony, and they would get married, and then they would be formally married. So the word betrothal here, it's important for us to see, was much more serious and weighty than our period of engagement that we have in our culture. All right, so just keep that in the background as we keep reading. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way, verse 18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, important detail right here, before they came together. See it there in verse 18? Now, what does that mean? Well, what it means is this before they consummated their marriage through sexual intercourse. That's what that means, okay? Before they came together, before they had had any physical relationship, look at what it says. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. So again, imagine yourself in the world of the Bible. What's going on now? We got a problem, right? We got a problem. What's the problem? Well, in ancient Jewish culture, if you're betrothed to someone and you're sleeping with that someone, that's a problem. But it might be even more of a problem if you're sleeping with someone who you're not engaged to be married with, who you're not betrothed to. That would be worse. And this was considered adultery by Jewish law. They weren't officially married, but it was still adultery. And strictly speaking, this was punishable by death in the Old Testament law. Now, in the time when this was written, uh, about 2,000 years ago, they weren't most likely uh, executing people for this. But the point remains, this is a weighty thing. This is a weighty historical situation that we're reading about here. Very significant. So Joseph and Mary have a legal problem, right? But again, imagining yourself in the shoes of those that we're reading about, how's Joseph feeling? How's Joseph feeling? He's got a massive emotional problem, doesn't he? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. This would be utterly devastating. There's a lot of married people in the room. Remember your engagement. Think back to that time. It's a time of excitement. It's a time of planning. It's a time of thinking about, you know, longings that you've had for a long time that are soon going to be fulfilled. That sense of expectation, the joy that comes with that. My niece just got engaged, and she's got the whole wedding planned even before she got engaged. I mean, she's excited. Right? That's, that's very normal when you're in that period before you get married. Very normal. Now imagine, though, your hopes and dreams are dashed against the rocks when you find out that your fiancé has been cheating on you. I mean, that's utterly devastating. And Mary's body is starting to swell, and, and she can't hide it. There's no hiding the scandal. 
It's like trust is everything in relationships. And you can imagine how trust was profoundly broken here. So if you're, if you're an ancient Jewish believer and you're hearing this read to you, Matthew's account was read out loud to you for the first time, what would you be thinking right now as, you, as you're just hearing verse 18 read to you? You'd probably be thinking, wow, Jesus came amidst a serious scandal. This is a serious scandal. Scandalous circumstances. Mary's sleeping around with Joseph or with someone who's not her fiance. But now, as we keep reading, it's about to get even crazier because Christmas comes through a supernatural scandal so that scandalous sinners can be saved. Look at what it says at the rest of verse 18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Those are some strange words, right? From the Holy Spirit. This is no normal pregnancy. There's never been a pregnancy like this, nor will there ever be another pregnancy like this again. This is a miracle of God by which he makes a woman pregnant without sexual intercourse and so if you're hearing this read for the first time, what, what are you thinking? There's a lot we can say here, but for sure you're hearing this for the first time, you'd be thinking, surely there's no one like Jesus. Surely Jesus is utterly unique. Or keep reading, tell me more about this first Christmas. Christmas comes through a supernatural scandal so that scandalous sinners can be saved. So we've got, the, we've got the scandal part clear, right? We've got the supernatural part just declared. Doesn't explain it, just declares it. Well, what about the sinners being saved part? Well, let's keep reading. Just in these opening verses, Matthew has brought us to the natural world of laws and regulations pertaining to marriage. And then he's taken us to the supernatural part of this and now he's going to take us back to the natural world as we keep reading. Let's take a look. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Well, what, now, what does that mean? What does it mean? Like, what would it mean to, to put her to shame? Well, again, in the world of the Bible, um, when something like this were to happen, you could take your fiancé to the official Jewish courts and it would be more of a public spectacle in that way. But you could also do it in a way that was more quiet because the Old Testament law says that all you, if you were a, a man, all you needed were a couple witnesses and a certificate of divorce. You could give that to your fiancé and send her away and that was it. It didn't need to be this public thing with court, Jewish courts and all that. And that's probably what Joseph had in mind. He wanted to follow the law, but he also wanted to show mercy. Let's keep reading in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, 
Now we go back to the supernatural. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Think about the beginning of that verse, as he considered these things. Like, there's a lot of imaginative information we could impose on that. Like, how long did Joseph have to wait before he got this word from the Lord? How long did he have to sit and consider the chaos that was swirling around in his heart? Weeks? Months? Maybe? We, we don't know, but Joseph had some season of time to consider the chaos of this scandal that he's been thrust into and sit in that and just kind of have to take it. And then, finally, God speaks, right? Joseph, listen to what God says again. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why? For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Isn't it such a joy to see God reveal himself in the midst of the chaos of scandal with a word of comfort? Joseph, it's okay. It's part of the plan. I'm working right now in ways you couldn't begin to imagine. It's kind of what God says to him. But if you can place yourself in Joseph's shoes, what do you think Joseph learned about God? It's a really great question to ask of your Bible as you're reading it. What can I learn about God? Or what are the characters that I'm reading about? What do you think? What are they learning about God? And then that's probably something I should learn about God too. What do you think Joseph learned about God in the midst of these utterly strange, unique circumstances that have been thrust upon him? In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the scandal, God brings a word of comfort. Like, Joseph, it's part of the plan. Don't fear. But remember, sometimes God allows us to sit in the chaos. Sometimes he gives us a season of time. It's hard. where We don't have that word of comfort yet where we have to, like he did, consider these things. God, what are you up to? What should I do? I'm not sure how to make sense of this. Sometimes I can feel devastating. Just like Joseph probably felt, right? You think things are going one way, and then all of a sudden God reveals something, and it takes a radical turn for the better. It's all going wrong, and then all of a sudden God swoops in and it goes right. And you didn't see it coming. You didn't know how it was going to happen. All you had over here was doom and gloom. God swoops in after a season of time and shows you how it fits together. A lot of you can relate to Joseph here. I know I I can in, in so many ways, so many stories to tell. One of the first things that comes to mind is after we moved to Madison uh, 12 and a half years ago, uh, we planted the church, and then um, my wife kind of led a small team of us to plant uh, a school about a year or two later. 
called Karis Classical Academy. And literally probably every year for the first probably six years, right around February, we'd be thinking, that's it. We don't have enrollment for the next year. We don't have enrollment. We're not going to have any money. And we're just going to shut it down. Right? We think it's going this way like every time, every, every spring. The school's going this direction. Let's make some contingency plans, homeschool, co-op, whatever. And then by April, we're going this direction, and it's going to be okay. But we just had to sit in that. Usually every January, February, beginning of March, just this period of kind of chaos, like is the school going to get shut down or not? For a lot of people, some of you in this room, uh, it's, it's stuff that's way worse than that. And I've had that too in my life. I have a friend um, many years ago, more like a Joseph case here, complete devastation for a, a period of time in his life. And he, he never saw it coming. He's married to a wife for 15 years. And then one day, he didn't see it coming at all. She sits him down and basically says, I've never really loved you and I'm not a Christian anymore. And she leaves him. She leaves her faith. And she leaves him with three kids. Utterly devastating. And there was a season of time when he had to sit in that and consider that. Like, what is happening right now? But today he's remarried. He has a a, a baby son with his new wife and he wouldn't change his life experiences for the world. Like God was with him in that devastation and the devastation brought about some amazing blessings. Couldn't see it at the time. He had to wait. The same for Joseph. But after that waiting period, after the confusion of the chaos, God swoops in and he, and he finally, in a, in a dream, he speaks. He reveals himself by his word to Joseph. And he says, Joseph, you get to be the adopted dad of the Messiah, the savior of the world from their sins. And that's what Joseph learns next in our, in our text that Christmas comes through a supernatural scandal so that scandalous sinners can be saved. Who is this baby that, that Mary's pregnant with? Look at verse 21. God's word continues to Joseph in verse 21. God says through the angel to Joseph in a dream, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. In the Old Testament, in the world of the Bible, a name had more significance than we place to our names today. It had more to do with um, function. And so Jesus' name means, uh, it's, you could say Joshua or Yeshua, and that means our God saves. Yahweh saves. And so when, when the name is received, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see the connection there. 
He's named Jesus because of the a function that he's going to serve, right? So Joseph receives this news that the Messiah is coming. He's not here yet, but he's coming. He's promised. But that's announced right now to Joseph and Joseph alone. The Savior is coming. He's coming to save sinners. This longing that Jewish people had had for centuries, the Messiah is coming. Now we can relate, it's kind of hard for us, I think, to relate to this sometimes in our modern world, this kind of sense of longing that the Jewish people had. But as I was thinking about this week, there's uh, some modern examples that I think can, it's real small, like their expect, expectation was much larger, but we can do this in, in a similar way if you are a fan of college sports, all right? And it happens every single year where coaches get fired, new coaches get hired, and what's attached to that new coach? Some serious expectations for a form of salvation, being saved from being losers, right? Uh, four years ago, it was uh, this guy named Scott Frost, and he was hired as the coach for the, the historic Nebraska Cornhusker football program, and he was the golden boy that had gone off. He, he was a player, and I think they won some championships with him, whatever, he goes off, has a great coaching career, comes back. He, the Messiah has come to revive the Huskers from getting beat by the Badgers all the time. That never used to happen. Getting beat by the Hawkeyes a lot. That never used, never used to happen. It didn't materialize. He's fired four seasons and three games later. Every year it happens. Well, you guess who the new Messiah is this year? Anybody know? Coach Prime. Y'all heard of Coach Prime? I love Coach Prime. Oh, man. Deion Sanders. Now, if you guys aren't a fan of sports, I'll just give you the background a little bit. Deion Sanders, one of the most elite athletes I've ever seen in my lifetime. Up there with Bo Jackson, Michael Jordan, two-sport professional athlete. Uh, he played for James Davenport's 49ers. Isn't that right, James? Yep. Uh, one of the best co cornerbacks ever in professional sports. Um, there's, a, there's a story. I don't know if it's a, ru a rumor or not, but it's a great story, so I'll just tell it. Um, about Deion Sanders, who's such an elite athlete that like football players in the NFL required to show up and do training camp, and part of that is lifting weights. Um, and, and if you didn't do that, you would get fined. And the story goes that Deion was such an elite athlete is that he would just show up training camp and write a check for the fine and just say, here you go, I, I don't need this stuff. And, uh, and then he would show up and, I mean, he could back it up. Elite athlete. Huge personality. I mean, this guy, if he wasn't a football coach, he should be, you know, some type of public speaker, some type of motivational speaker. Um, and he got into coaching recently at a historically black college called Jackson State, and they did really well. And so everyone knew it was just a matter of time where he, you know, get called up to the big leagues of college coaching, and he just got hired at Colorado. Now, Colorado's been bad for about 30 years. They were good when I was, when I was in high school. 
Um, someone can correct me on this, but I think, where's Chase? Is he, he's out there. Am I right? They've been bad for about 30 years? Yeah. Um, and so like this, Coach Prime coming to town, coming to Boulder, Colorado is a big deal. And I mean, he's good for TV too. Like this is dollar signs. Like they're document, documenting every move he makes. You can go on YouTube right now and see like some of the meetings with players. He's flamboyant. He's saying crazy things. But one of the things he, 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 he kept saying in this meeting that I watched with his players, he, he had a speech and he's kind of a, a preacher and he's got a rhythm and, and he's saying, and I'm going to come and I'm going to do this and I just want you to know I'm coming and we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And he said, I want you to know I'm coming and we're going to do this. And, you know, I can't repeat it, but he kept saying, I'm coming, I'm coming. He just kept repeating that in this 15 minute talk to his players, just this sense of expectation that he's building about himself. And you can imagine, like all the people in Boulder, Colorado fans, I mean, they're, they're eating it up, right? Huge expectations connected to Coach Prime. He, he, his, his nickname for himself was Dion Primetime Sanders, and so that's why they call him Coach Prime. But here's the point. If you're a Colorado fan, he's going to save us from being losers, like that sense of expectation, that sense of longing. We've been losers for 30 years, and there's somebody new coming to town to rescue us, to save us. There's millions of dollars given by boosters to, 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 to be rescued from that sense of, man, I'm attached to a losing team, right? That's, that's kind of the longing, but at a much grander scale of the Jewish mentality. What's their mentality? Well, we're losers too because Rome came in and invaded us with their iron fist and we've been oppressed for a long time by the iron fist of Rome. We lost. We're oppressed. Who's going to rescue us? They wanted to be saved. They don't want to feel like losers. And when they thought about the coming Messiah, so many were looking for salvation from Rome. Military, political salvation. The Messiah would lead them to defeat their enemies, Rome, and put them back to the center stage of, of world history where they would rule and reign, the kingdom of Israel. But here's the problem. That's not what the angel says to Joseph, is it? He talks about salvation, but he's not talking about college football, right? And he's not talking about military political triumphs, is he? Look at, look at what the passage doesn't say in verse 21. It doesn't say, she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from Roman occupation. It doesn't say she will bear a son, you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from political turmoil. The passage of Matthew reminds us where our true problem lies. It's not ultimately in political turmoil. It's not ultimately in governmental oppression. It's too short-sighted. He's thinking eternal, eternal deliverance. 
Christmas comes through a supernatural scandal so the scandalous sinners can be saved. Now listen, that doesn't mean that unjust, cruel governments aren't, shouldn't be called to account. That can and should happen at times and, and, that, and our roles in that individually or communally will, will vary based on abilities and cultures in which we live. But verse 21 reminds us that everyone has a need for deliverance. Look, look at this, the verse on the screen, Psalm 130. This is, this is another way of, of what God says. This is an ancient version of what God says to Joseph. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he, notice who's doing the, the saving. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. See, see, the testimony of the Bible, like we talked about at the beginning of our service in our confession of sin, the testimony of the Bible is that sin is our greatest problem. Do we all have secondary tertiary problems? Absolutely. And secondary tertiary doesn't mean unimportant. Okay? Secondary tertiary doesn't mean unimportant. But God's word calls out to Joseph and to us this morning and asks us to remember our greatest need. Our greatest need is salvation from sin. Our greatest need is forgiveness for breaking God's law, for falling short of the glory of God, for standing justly accused before the God of the universe. Our greatest problem is, and our greatest need, is salvation from the penalty of sin. But in the midst of the supernatural scandal of Christmas, the, the word of promise comes to Joseph and to us that Jesus will do the saving. Like, you don't, you don't see a lot about Joseph having to do a bunch of stuff to save himself, right, in that passage. I mean, look at it in 21. I, I don't see much there, right? The emphasis is on Jesus will do the saving. He will save his people from their sins. Now, Joseph, he heard this word from God, and he had to believe it, that it would happen in the future. He didn't know exactly when or how, but he, he obeyed. By faith, he heard the word of God and then acted in faith. He said, God, I believe you, and since I believe you, I'm going to do something. I'm going to act. What is he supposed to do? Get married to Mary, right? But we... We do the same, it's the same function except in reverse. He looked forward, but we look back. We look back and believe in faith that Jesus' work that started at Christmas, the life he lived, the death he died, the resurrection he experienced is enough. It's sufficient to do what the angel says here, to do the saving. We trust in God's word as we look back in faith, just like Joseph trusted in God's word as he looked forward and did what God told him to do. 
Christmas comes through a supernatural scandal so that scandalous sinners can be saved. Maybe this morning you're in some type of a scandal, big or small, chaos, big or small, swirling around in your hearts. And maybe, maybe you, you hear this text this morning and you would love a supernatural dream where God speaks to you clearly. And that can happen. It does happen sometimes in our world. I can't guarantee that's going to happen. In my experience, that's pretty rare. But I can tell you for sure that something very supernatural has already happened. It's the resurrection of King Jesus. Right? It happened as a historical fact. It's the basis of any faith that you have in Christianity, in, in God. That's the proof. It's a historical fact. You can believe that the, the word of God just as much as Joseph believed the word of God in his dream. So wherever you're at this morning, in light of this word and what we see going on here, you don't have to worry. It will work out. You may be sitting there like Joseph and contemplating these things, but there will come a day when it will find a resolution. And I can say that because of what has happened in history, the life, death, and resurrection of King Jesus. God is with you in Jesus. God is for you in Jesus. God is working eventual victory for you in Jesus. If you turn from your sin in repentance and turn towards Jesus as the one who can save you from the judgment that your sin deserves. He's mighty to save. Like it says here, he's able to save. Like the angel doesn't have like a, well, we hope he's going to save sinners or we think he can save sinners. No, it's just a fact. He will save his people from their sin. That's why he came. So if you have trusted in him as your trust and your treasure, you can confidently know that you are one of his people. Save his people from their sins. Who are his people? those that have turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus and are willing to listen to him with ears to hear. Not perfection, but direction. Lord, I want to hear you, and when I fail, I'm going to repent, and I'm going to keep turning towards you, trusting that you died for my sins and so I can move into the future with confidence and faith. So in the midst of whatever chaos right now, it will find resolution just like it did for Joseph It's just a matter of time for those that are his people. So our hope isn't in football coaches or a life free from scandal. Our hope is in the one who saves in the midst of it. Christmas comes through a supernatural scandal so that scandalous sinners can be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this first word that you gave to Joseph and the, the comfort that it brought to him. Lord, we, we are people that um, wherever we are, maybe we are struggling and in the waiting room. 
Lord, we want to trust you there, and we also want to ask for a, a resolution, Lord. Lord, thank you that because of the resurrection, that you've defeated sin, that you've defeated death, we know one day it will all be dealt with. And so, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't understand your gospel as a gospel of free grace, where sinners can admit it and come to you for forgiveness, apart from works, just receive the gift. Um, Lord, I pray you would open their eyes to see, maybe for the first time this morning, and for those of us who, who know this, may we continue to meditate on it and live in light of it. In Jesus' name, amen.